My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, you guys, welcome back to another episode. I am Jenna Overbaugh, and I'm here with Morgan, an advocate and um, someone here with lived experience with OCD. And we have so much to talk to you guys about today. We're going to talk all about values and not letting OCD get in the way of those values. Um, We're going to go over Morgan's experience with relationship OCD and maybe a couple of other things there too. Um, But yeah, really a driven conversation today about values and how OCD can attack those things and just how awful it can be, but how wonderful life can be on the other side if we don't let OCD take down our values. So Morgan, thank you so much for being here. I would love for you to just start out and say hi, introduce yourself and let us know, like, where did this all start for you? Yes. Um, Hello, everyone. Um, I have a lot of lived experience with OCD, 29 years old right now, um, but I started showing symptoms when I was five years old. Um, Pure OCD and mental compulsions were not very well known back then. So I ended up getting my official diagnosis when I was 22 years old. Um, And I've been in ERP and therapy and support groups ever since. Um, So I've definitely um, seen the light at the end of the tunnel and it is possible. Um, and I would say I, I've struggled majority with relationship OCD and that can affect any type of relationship. And I've, I've definitely seen that. So struggled with relationship OCD and, and homosexuality OCD from the age of 12 and on. And I still, you know, don't, I, I can confidently say that compulsions take up, uh, maybe 30 minutes on a bad day. And it used to be five and five and six hours a day. So that's just a little gist of my background. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of people out there can resonate with the concept of relationship OCD and other pieces of your story where, you know, you, you noticed some things when you were little, but went undiagnosed for so, so long. So maybe if you're okay with it, take us all the way back. Like what were some things that in hindsight, as you were growing up and when you were little, what were some of the tendencies that you saw starting to creep up yeah definitely so it showed my my first obsession started when I was probably five um and the obsession was directed towards my mom I had a fear of my mom dying um so my triggers would be being away from my mom um hearing ambulances seeing the color red because I think about ambulances Um, And then my compulsion would be to compulsively call my mom 
until she answered. And if she didn't answer, uh, just in OCD's nature, uh, it felt like to me the world was ending. So um, I couldn't have sleepovers. And um, that's really where I first saw it. Um, looking back, of course, um, there's no way with where it was back in the day and education on OCD, there's no way for anyone to know what I was struggling with because OCD is such an internal battle and the compulsions are all mental and it's scary to talk about. So my diagnosis was life-changing for me. Um, so it started with my mom and she is my best friend today. So it makes sense. Um, and then as I started getting older, my relationship OCD started attaching to my friends. Um, and I had no, I needed to know that they cared about me. I, I thought no one cared about me. I needed to know. So those compulsions ended up being reassurance seeking and I would call them, text them, yell at them if they didn't respond to me because I needed to know that they cared. And it was very, very scary for a 12 year old. Um, and that's just the beginning of the symptoms. I do remember my first intrusive thought for homosexuality OCD. And that was when I was 12 and I kind of just kept that in until I was 22 and here I am now. So that is where it all started and kind of the signs that, that I was shown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what was that like for you and go into whatever detail you feel comfy with, but <laughs> just that long period of time where you had that intrusive thought. And, and so many of us can go back to like that distinct moment or that distinct mm -hmm. thought when like our, our brains quote unquote broke. I remember mine yes. was, it was about two weeks after I gave birth to my son back in 2018. And I remember very vividly as we do with these things, right? Like we kind of have that like light bulb memory, same mm -hmm. way that we remember where we were during 9-11. We remember right. what our first exactly. intrusive thought was. Um, I was changing my son's socks. He was super tiny at the time, just an infant. And I remember I had that intrusive thought that what if I just snapped his ankles? And in hindsight, obviously I had struggled long before that. Like that was probably by no definition, my first intrusive thought, but it felt like the first like thunderbolt. Um, mm -hmm. It and felt like the first really big, it, again, like how, like it felt like my brain broke. Um, right. So and talk to me about that experience and like what that was like. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember exactly where I was. I was on vacation with my family at a, uh, hotel in the hotel lobby and I think I saw a certain color I'm not exactly sure but I do remember being very triggered and I had my first intrusive thought what if I'm lesbian and I immediately panicked and the only way I knew how to deal with it in my 12 year old brain was to run away from the area I was at and so I went and ran, ran away back up to my hotel room and I called my mom over and over and had her come upstairs and chat with me and I was crying. And then the HOCD started, um, the constant, how do I know if I'm lesbian, constant hours of research, um, the need to have certainty on my, about my sexuality. And that was really the most crippling fear. Um, and it held me back from, from everything in life in the sense that, um, I was 22 years old 
and I was too scared to even kiss a boy sober or hang out with a boy sober because I was scared I was going to find out I was lesbian. It's that, it's that painful. And it's, you have a thought and it sticks and it sticks with you from a young age and you learn how to deal with it because the compulsions are what feels like are keeping you safe. So, um, the journey of that was, was huge. Um, coming to the realization, I actually found out that I had OCD because it was 2016 and 1030 at night. And I knew things weren't going to be going well if I didn't figure this out. So I typed, how do I know if I'm lesbian? That was my Google search. And three links down was homosexuality, OCD. I read that and I started bawling. That was exactly what I had been experiencing. And then I dropped credits and I dropped my semester in college because then a new obsession th started. I needed to know that I had OCD because I needed to know that my whole life made sense because I was driven by this illness. Um, so there's so many compulsions that that go into homosexuality, OCD, and um, relationship OCD, especially when they're blended. That can be kind of gnarly. Um, all the themes are gnar All the themes are a lot, and um, I think everyone that experiences OCD is also on the same page as that. It's every intrusive thought sometimes feels like it's the first time you've had an intrusive thought. And it's that painful every time. So. Yeah. What I noticed the most, like the commonality between everything that it is that you're saying is this needing to know, right? Like mm -hmm. the relationship stuff when you were little, even with friends, right? Like I just needed to know that they cared. And, yep. Yep. you know, I just needed to know that my mom was okay. I just needed to know that I, you know, or what my sexual orientation was. I just needed to know that I had OCD. I needed to know that my life made sense. Yep. And that yep. is, I think, right? Like I, I think the OCD yeah. field is getting more and more on board with that, right? Like it was never about you being a lesbian. It was never oh. about, um, you know, other relationships and whether they cared. It was always about this needing to know, like needing to be yeah, 100% sure. That's kind of what it boiled down to. Cause obviously when I became educated on OCD, I was like, okay, I suffer from this theme and that theme and this theme and that theme, but OCD also can attack anything. It can attack work. It can attack, you know, a wedding dress. So in terms of learning all that, it's just so important to realize that my OCD manifests on uncertainty. That's bottom line is anything uncertain, it will attack. And so Thankfully at 29 years old, now engaged and getting married this year, I've learned that because it's been a ride, but. And that, that is, I mean, that's, those are things, this is the perfect example, right? Like OCD is not just about these like very straightforwardly outlandish things that could never happen, right? Like sometimes you do have doubt about, I, I mean, like buying a house, like that's a real oh, life adult decision where there are some legitimate, like some, there's some uncertainties there. Like it's not always straightforward, you know, getting married, that's a big decision. So talk to us about before we get into the wedding and like all that stuff, because I I'm sure, you know, with relationship OCD and all that stuff, like, I think a lot of people will be curious kind of how that has impacted 
yeah. your relationship now, or like, you know, as you plan for a wedding, so on and so forth. I'm curious, like what happened after you, you know, really came to terms with the fact that you probably have OCD. Like what happened yeah. then? Did you start ERP meds? Like what that happened? Was, yes. That was a whirlwind. I'll just tell you that because it was, it was bittersweet. It was so exciting because I knew that there was, there was hope, but OCD obviously has its hold on you. And it was scary making the jump. Um, so I started meds literally the week I found out I was diagnosed just because it had gotten that bad and I just needed something to, to help me keep me going. So I started meds right away. Uh, good old Prozac and, um, I am still on meds. Um, the medication I will say saved my life personally. Um, so it really depends on the treatment team because after I found my medication and I found a medication that worked, I started ERP. Um, I was living here in LA. I moved away from, from where I was going to school. Um, and I moved back in with my parents and I was living here in LA and I just thought there has to be, I've heard of ERP, but I don't know. That sounds scary. <laughs> I don't know much about it. Let me educate myself. So I started with education because I think education is the most important. And then I dove into ERP and I joined a support group as well as an individual one-on-one -on -one therapy. So I went pretty, pretty uh, intense with the therapy just because there were so many things that I learned that OCD was holding me back from. And I knew that I needed to make a change because I knew that I wanted to live a life that I was happy with. And I did couldn't be held back from my values anymore. Um, and one of my values being relating to relationship OCD, one of my values being I wanted to find love. And I knew that something was holding me back. And that was my, my homosexuality OCD. So ERP is really what started the recovery process. Um, and I would say awareness and, um, awareness is key to all of it, because if I wasn't aware of what I was dealing with, this never would have happened. So, yeah, and who knows, right? Like, it's so scary to think about like, what would have happened had you not found that mm -hmm. article, like had that article it's, never existed, right? Like who knows, right? And it's terrifying. And it's, it's funny that you say that because what it's 2023 now, that was such a long time ago. And I still get chills thinking about that time because I'm finally at the point where I can admit that I am deeply traumatized from my OCD. Um, I'm at a really good spot now. I, as I mentioned, compulsions take up maybe 30 minutes on a bad day. But every time I go through a little bit of a blip, it's, you know, it brings back my old, my old trauma from before day, before I was tr in treatment. So it's just so important to be aware of and I know that the, trust me, the Google search was probably the scariest thing I've ever typed. Um, <laughs> hitting enter, I remember hitting enter and I was just like, you know what? Gotta find this out. And I pressed enter and my life was saved. Yeah. So you'll remember that forever for sure. Oh, I will. I definitely will. I actually ran up to one of my best friend's rooms because we I had lived with six girls at the time. And I ran up to one of my best friends and I said, This is exactly what I've been experiencing my whole entire life. My whole life. And so it's just it's just so empowering to know that education can really save people at the end mm -hmm. of the day. 
for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really want to know. And I love that you were like, I want to find love. Like, I don't <laughs> want this to hold me back. Like you yeah. knew what you wanted. And yes. I think everyone out there who has OCD, they know what they want, right? Like they want freedom. Oh, yeah. They want to but be it, able it, to drive. Like mm -hmm. they want to be able to do things. And some of those things are not all that, right. you know, like whenever I ask people, I'm always floored. Like when I work with clients, I always ask them like, what are your goals? And some of them are so basic. It's like, I just want to go out to eat with my husband. And it's like, right. oh my gosh, like you're not at, like you guys aren't asking for the world, you know, like you just want to be able to like live a decent life and like do the basic things that other people can do. Um, exactly. So I'm really curious, like what, well, yeah. at what point did you find your partner and like, how did that go? And what were some yeah. of the first signs of OCD maybe latching onto that? Yeah, definitely. I, I'm going to start off. Maybe I'm giving him a little bit of a shout out, but it, let me just tell you, Jenna, and I know you're aware, but it's so possible to find somebody that, that loves you for you and loves you for, for who you are. And that was a huge, huge fear of mine. Again, going back to relationship OCD, my whole life, because I had relationship OCD and homosexuality OCD at the same time. So while I had the fear of being a lesbian, fear of uncertainty of my sexuality, I also had the fear of, wait, so if I am lesbian, does that mean I'll never be able to have a family and fall in love? So because of just the way the brain works, it's just what happened. So in the beginning of my ERP journey, I actually um, was dealing with some compulsive dating on dating apps, living in LA. Um, <laughs> and I'd probably go on like two or three dates a week. I didn't realize it was a compulsion until I started therapy, but I was doing that in order to feel like I could have a connection. But the key with this is all of these dates were not sober. Um, and they were to the point where I ended up having four glasses of wine in one night because I was so terrified to go on these dates, but I wanted to push myself and I didn't know what else to do. I couldn't in my brain back then, I couldn't do it sober because it was so scary. So I started ARP and it got to the point where we had to do an exposure and cut down the alcohol. So it started with four glasses and then my next date would be starting, you know, three glasses. It moved down from there, of course, as exposures do. Um, and I ended up drinking one glass of wine on dates and that was huge for me. I was so proud of myself. Um, I actually met my fiance organically during this time. He is my cousin's best friend. So it's funny because here I was compulsively dating in hopes to find somebody but I found him in the most organic way possible. So I met him at the height of my OCD. Um, and he is amazing. He actually is the first person that I kissed um, sober. The first person I slept with sober. And um, he was so supportive of it because he met me where I was at. And that was something that I didn't know it was possible because I just thought I was broken. Um, so meeting him was honestly life-changing because he's the most amazing man. And um, I am open about my mental health and I have been from the beginning of dating someone new. So I came at it in an educational way from the beginning because it's not a life sentence. It's not, it, it feels like it in the beginning. It feels like you're gonna struggle with it forever. 
but you'll get to the point where you don't and it doesn't run your whole entire life. Um, so meeting him was really awesome. And I would use, um, I would do exposures around him, um, every day, every day, exposure lifestyle is kind of the life I live, but, um, my exposures would be simply kissing him. And, um, in relationship OCD, sometimes simple kisses and cuddling can be triggering. So, my exposure would be to kiss him because every time I kissed him, I'd get triggered because I didn't know if I liked him enough or not. And I didn't know if I was lying to myself or not. So to deal with the uncertainty, I worked my way up to kissing him. And every time I kissed him, it'd be triggering, but I liked kissing him. So I wanted to keep doing it. I couldn't run away from it. Um, so it's been three years. I've been in therapy off and on. But I wouldn't be able to do it without well without him. I would be, but he's just taught me so much about myself and how strong I truly am. And that I can, you know. Um, so we are engaged now. Um, we've been engaged for about five months. And that has also brought on a lot of stuff, as you can imagine. As but, I say, yeah. I mean, for anyone, right? Like there's a lot of decisions, yes. there's a lot of pressure. It's something yep. that you're probably very excited about and eager for and OCD loves that. It <laughs> so loves, talk to us it about loves that. It. it loves it because something that you're really excited for OCD will do anything they can to ruin it. So when I got engaged, I was so, 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 so excited. But OCD was like, are you sure you're excited? Are you just lying to yourself? Are you going through a manic episode? Are you sure you're excited? No, you didn't cry. You're not excited. Cause obviously the media portrays engagements that are very elaborate tears are shed they drop to their knees you know so so it's funny because it was perfect in every way well i don't really like to use the word perfect but it was great in every way and it happened how it should have but the anxiety of it and the ocd attacking it is just thank god i was in a, a good spot mentally and thankfully, I had been doing ERP and exposures up until this point, and I was aware of potential OCD. So I worked on it in ERP for the first couple months before I got engaged because I knew the engagement was coming. Um, and it's kind of all a matter of of being aware of big life moments and th that they might trigger you or they might not. But still being aware of it is key uh, because being aware of it was was what helped me be able to um, talk myself through it because OCD had a hold, of course, as it always does, mm -hmm. not always, but you know, the strength is, it always tries to come back at you. For sure. Uh, so, so how do you stay, like, how do you stay on top of it? I think that's what so many people kind of yes. struggle with. It's like, yes. you, you literally have to be on your A game. Like you have to be super vigilant. Like I, feel like I have to make mental health my job. Like yes, I have to, yes. and it's not yeah. something that I do 24 seven, but I definitely do it. I think more than most people, like I, um, I have to almost observe my thoughts from like a third person perspective or like from a bird's eye view sometimes like to really get curious about them. Right. To yes. just get curious about like, why do I feel like I want to ask that? Or like, what is making me anxious about that right now? Like it really mm -hmm. requires you to be mindful. It sounds so cliche, but like it, it requires you to be super mindful. So what, what helps you? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I would say, so there's, there's three things. The two things are awareness and acceptance, because if I wasn't aware that I was struggling with this and I wasn't accepting of the pain that I had dealt, I would just be keep going down the cycle. Right. So the awareness and acceptance is key. And while that can be scary, it's very important because in order to improve, you need to be aware of your triggers. You need to be aware of what triggers you. Um, so being aware of my triggers is the biggest. And also the even bigger part of it all is being aware of my values at the end of the day, because OCD can make you doubt your values. It can make you doubt, do I care about this? Do I care about that? And so through therapy, I have learned values-based living and that has helped me so much in the sense that here's an example. So I really, really value connection. I value love. I value um, a significant other, right? That's a big value of mine. But OCD can make me think so many different things and throw so many different thoughts at me. But at the end of the day, if I look at my value of connection and I follow that value, I don't need to live. I don't need my, the thoughts that go on in my head don't really matter at the end of the day after the hard work is put in. Um, I know they matter in the beginning, trust me, but after the hard work is put in and after you kind of educate yourself and go through the, the, the hard things, it is possible to not have it control you. Um, and it's, I actually have a values wheel um, that my therapist gave me. And it's kind of cool because it's a layout of all the values that are important in life. And my values personally are family and friendship. So connection, and that's something very big to me. So I can have as much anxiety as OCD wants to throw at me about, you know, the possible engagement or the possible, the wedding in the future, or is he the one or whatever feels right in the moment, if it follows my values, then I'm good. I mean, that took a long time to be able to say, um, and I get that, but that's, that's, that's how I'm dealing with, with everything now. And it's, it's great. Um, acceptance and commitment therapy is obviously something that's very beneficial as well. Um, uh, the happiness trap is an awesome book. So, um, I am leaning on my values right now. And, and when, once you narrow down your true values and your core beliefs, it's, it helps. It definitely does help, but I know that OCD can cloud those. So sure. And that was going to be my next question. I feel like every once in a while, when I talk to people about this, I have some people who are like, but what if you don't know your values? Like, what if you just don't know? And I do think that some people are genuinely confused and like, they just haven't maybe developed those yet or, or yes. become like super connected with them. But I also do think that sometimes OCD can make you even doubt your values or make yeah. you overcomplicate it. Mm -hmm. Um, so how would you describe like the process of identifying some of your values? Yeah, definitely. That's something that I've been working on for the last year or so. So let's use, I will use something in my, in my work life because I, really value family and I really value my future and wanting to be able to provide for my family. Um, I wasn't aware of that value because 
my fear had gotten in the way of it because yes, OCD can make you doubt your values because I didn't even think that I cared about family. I thought that the only thing important in my life was finances. (laughs) And um, I took the time to work with my therapist and really talk about and, and kind of peel back my core beliefs and um, the core beliefs are the start of where my values come from. Um, and I, I will say I'm still learning every day, but um, it's definitely, it's definitely as you get older, I think, and as you really start to jump into therapy, it's definitely something that is possible to do because values are where everything lies so um I think I'll have to come back and get a a better answer when I'm a little bit more aware of how to put those words together (laughs) values are hard and I think are they are CD wants like very specific yes or no things yes right like very right and and that's the, the going off of what you just said that actually brings up a really good point because with OCD there's it's going to have you doubt everything. But once you learn that OCD and doubt is the center of the disorder, you have values in your back pocket that you've grown up with. Sometimes they're hard to identify because OCD will make you doubt that you even believe in that. But um, it's just, it's key to be aware of that. Um, So, yeah. For sure. So what does recovery look like for you? Like, what does it look like for you on a day-to-day basis? I know you said that even on a bad day, it's like 30-ish minutes, but like, what's, take us through, like, take us through a bad day. Like, what does that look like and how do you Um, handle it? So I'm giving myself a lot of grace on my bad days because it can be easy to beat yourself up. I'll tell you that much. Um, Because a lot of people in recovery, when they have a bad day, they, they kind of, it's, it's easy to, to get overwhelmed and think that you've taken a million steps back. Um, so I would say out of a month, which is 30 days, I would say I only have maybe two or three bad days a month. Whereas three or four years ago, it was, you know, four or five bad days a week. So on my bad days, it's typically when my OCD is really strong and it, it's attacking something. And it's sometimes when my intrusive thoughts are louder and I just have a hard time resisting compulsions. Um, and on those days, I, I, I honestly treat myself with love. I do things that I know will make me happy, whether that be doing a facial, taking a nap, going for a walk, because the feelings won't last forever. It feels like they will in the moment because fear does that, but I've come to learn throughout recovery that just because you have one bad day, doesn't mean that you're stuck like that forever. Um, and just because you have one bad day doesn't mean anything negative. It's just one more way for you to learn about the process of recovery because it's not linear. Um, so, you know, my bad days probably consist of just doing a little bit of research here and there. Um, or, you know, calling my mom or fiance and asking a couple 
compulsive questions, but I'm at the point where I'm aware of my compulsions and I know when I'm, when I'm performing them. And I know that in order to keep, keep myself happy, I need to do everything I can to sit with the uncertainty, whether that be making jokes about OCD or listening to my favorite song to distract myself. However, I can delay the compulsion is, is key. Yeah. Um, Well, what I, what I hear you doing and what I want everyone to be able to do is you're talking yourself out of the ritual. You're not talking yourself into the compulsion, right? So you're talking yourself out of it. Like my mental health is more important to me than this ritual. Like I don't, those rituals are not going to be helpful for me. Right. Versus what you probably used to do, which is like, I just need to know, I just need to know that you care about me. Right. Like I need to, I, I if I ask, then I'll feel better. And it's like, mm-hmm. we got to start to talk your, talk your way out of the compulsion. And when you yes. start to prioritize your mental health mm-hmm. and make that paramount, like make that the absolute everything, like, end all be all you'll make the hard decisions, even though it's going to make it hard for you. Like maybe in that moment, you're going to feel more anxiety having not gotten that reassurance or whatever, right. They're not going to have that added stress that we know rituals can do over time. That's just, that's the important thing about going back to the education and the awareness of it all. Um, It's, it's just the fact that, yeah, a couple of years ago, I felt like if I didn't do compulsions, the whole entire world was going to end because compulsions are what quote unquote kept me safe my whole entire life. That's what OCD, it hurts you, but it also tries to save you in ways that are unhealthy, which is the compulsions. It's interesting. It's, it's the worst. Good. It's like the worst salesman ever, right? It's it like, here's this, here's this thing. Here's what we promise, but we're going to take this and this and from you. And in addition to never delivering what we actually promised. Exactly. Exactly. That's a very good point. It's a, it's a interesting, interesting, interesting sales rep on my shoulder all day. Awful. But, um, as we wrap up here, you've shared so much, like, what are your plans moving forward? You've mentioned this dress. Um, (laughs) and like, I think that's so funny because it's like OCD can come up in the most ridiculous ways, but it's really important, right? Like it's not just in these very like obvious ways, like with a relationship or saying yes to getting engaged or, you know, going on a date without drinking, right? Like sometimes it's in a wedding dress. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So that is, uh, it's actually been really fun and I've tried on a couple dresses and, um, I had a lot, I had some fears going into it, but you know, it's, it hasn't been, it really hasn't been too hard. Um, it's just the uncertainty of how do you know that that dress is your favorite? There's so many dresses out there. Um, so it's, I'm doing a very good job managing that thankfully. Um, and I have ideas in mind of what I like, but I'm not letting my brain do too much thinking when it comes down to it. I, I, I can't, I can't look at two wedding dresses side by side and compare the, um, compare the stitching. That's not going to help me at the end of the day. It's right. really, and there's always going to be a better one out there, right? Exactly. Like what are we supposed exactly. to do? Literally oh. get every single wedding dress out there and compare <laughs> yeah. them because as soon as you pick one, they're going to design another one. Exactly. And like that one will have been the best one. I think this is the perfect example of OCD, uh, taunting you with a fantasy, right? Uh-huh. It's taunting you with this fantasy of the perfect wedding dress of right. the right. perfect wedding dress and the perfect decision that you will never, ever, ever regret. 
It's like, that is a complete fantasy. We we regret our decisions all the time and we make wrong decisions all the time. Like there's no such thing as a right decision. It's simply coping with the, with, with whatever decision that you've made. Right. And I like, this is, I think so much of OCD recovery comes down to just like surrendering to the complete shit show that is life. Like I, when I got married in 2016, I was 100% sure. Like I was so sure about my wedding colors that anytime anyone, like including my mother-in-law, like may like said that she didn't like it. Like I would die on that hill, bro. Like I, (laughs) I believed in my wedding colors (laughs) I look back at that now, like eight years later, and I don't know what the hell I was thinking, right? Like people change, like people change, seasons change, your preferences are going to change, but OCD doesn't care about that. OCD wants you to have the best wedding dress and and it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. So you have to just totally surrender to the fact that like, like it's a complete shit show. Like I can only control so much and you have to settle for the wedding dress. That's good enough because chances are in 10 years, you're going to hate it. (laughs) You have to be okay with that. Exactly. Yeah. A phrase that I learned in the beginning of my recovery journey, because I had obviously, I mean, I had perfectionism, um, OCD as well, but good enough is good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. It does yeah. not because otherwise you're going to end up with nothing, right? Like you're going to exactly. not get a dress at all, or, you know, you're going to feel miserable, like in the one that you're in. And it's like, okay. Oh my God. Yeah. So that is, that is very true. But following my values value, live by your values, not by your fears is my, my quote that I'm living by this year. Totally. Along those lines, tell us some other advice for people out there who are kind of in the trenches like you were. What are yeah. what's some advice that you would give them to give them some hopefulness? Um, my advice would be um, you're not alone. And I think that's the most important part because there's so many other people out there that are so willing to um, educate you. I mean, Jenna, you're an example Um, There's so many people that are open to helping you and educated on OCD and they know all the taboo things. They know all the compulsions and education is really where everything starts. Um, So I think it's, again, I'll use the word surrendering um, and making that phone call. Don't be scared to ask for help. Don't be scared to say, Hey, I'm struggling Um, because you never know what's on the other side. It's beautiful. So that would be my, my advice. It is totally beautiful. It's scary and beautiful and awful and crazy and wild. And it's all the things. Thank you, Morgan, so much for being here. Do you want to drop where people can find you? Because I know you're like kind of into advocating these days. So where can people find you? I am finally advocating. You can follow me at mindful, M-I-N-D underscore Momo. I love that. I love it so much. Well, Morgan, by the way, uh, funny story. My name was supposed to be Morgan. Um, My mom, I was unnamed for like three days. And then my mom decided to name me Jenna because I was supposed to be Morgan. Oh man, there's a reason why we met today. I know it's just a vibe. So Morgan, thank you so much for being here. You're such an inspiration and you're going to do such amazing things on your advocacy journey and on your personal journey. I am so stoked to know you. So thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. 
From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.